Thank you for joining us here today. Uh, before I get into the message today, I did just want to say thank you to our worship leader, Emily, today. Can we thank her for doing that? What you guys may not know about Emily is that Emily is a school teacher. She is starting her school year right now, and she's at a brand new school. So for her to volunteer and do this and take her time is a big deal. And we appreciate servants in our church like that. Now, this morning we're talking about mercy. This got real for me. This, this idea of showing mercy got real for me when I was a, a much younger man than I am now. I went on a short-term mission trip with my church to El Salvador. We went down there. We were helping churches who do some great work in the community. And um, one morning we got up and they said, okay, everybody get on into the van. We're going to go to the city dump together, to the garbage heap. So we get in the van, we drive out there, and there's a ministry that works at the city dump full time outside of San Salvador. There are uh, families, uh, adults and children, who live at the dump full time and they scavenge for trash that they can trade in scrap metal or something that has some value so that they can live. The ministry that we were there with was doing um, ministry to the kids, and they would just, they would have kind of like a, like a, like a kid's Bible program, and so it would be fun games and songs and things, and these are kids that just, there's no real opportunity for fun in their lives, and they would feed them some food and those kinds of things, but they were having trouble getting the kids to show up to the program, not because the kids didn't want to come, but because the adults didn't want them to take time away from scavenging in the dump to come waste time at the, at the Bible program. So to solve this problem, the, uh, the organization started a feeding program for the adults as well, so that while the adults were taking a break from scavenging to eat, the children could get their food and have their program and have fun and games and songs and all that kind of stuff. And this was the first time I'd ever experienced something like this in my entire life. The sight of it, the smell of it, um, was utterly and completely heartbreaking. And what was so troubling for me was it felt a little bit hopeless. We were going in there, and I thought to myself, you know, we're not fixing anything. You know, we're not, we're not pulling people out of this. We're not changing their life long term. When we leave, they're still going to be doing this, and, and including the organization who was working there long term. And what shifted in my mind and my perception, seeing the families live at the dump, was was that mercy is not about fixing people's problems. Mercy is about reducing or relieving people's suffering. And so there may be many times in your life where you cannot fix what's wrong with someone else's life, but you can enter into that pain with them and try to relieve it or reduce it in some way. That is the essence of mercy, and it's what we're about as a church in the city. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there is plenty of suffering to go around in our city. You'll see it every single day when you walk down the sidewalk. You'll see it every day. I drive down Melnia Cass Boulevard almost every day of my life, and I see the suffering there. The city, I don't know if you've noticed this, can actually harden you to experiencing that a little bit. You become so um, inundated with it that you become almost blind to it. And, and part of that's not all bad. It's not like, you know, you're just automatically a terrible person. Some of it is if you paused every time you encountered that kind of suffering in the city, it would, it would literally overwhelm you, wouldn't it? And so you develop a, a thick shell that has to do with that. On top of that, the city has a tendency to make us a little bit cynical about it. Uh, I... <laughs> I, was, I got off at Arlington Stop on Boylston Street, this was a couple years ago, and a man called out to me, he was a young man uh, named Gage, he said, 
as I was walking by, he said, I, I don't want money, I just want food. And I thought, well, that's, that was different, and it caught my attention. So I walked over, and I learned his name. And I said, you know what, Gage? Let me buy you some food, bro. You don't want money, you just want food, let me buy you some food. So we start walking down Boylston Street. And I, I, I work there, so I know everything that's, that's around. I said, well, what do you want? I'll get you Chipotle, I'll get you Panera, I'll get you Wendy's. Man, I'll even get you dig in if you're, you know, eating organic today. And so we're walking down, and he says, um, I don't know. You know, I've had a lot of that stuff lately. I guess I don't really want Panera. Could I just have five bucks? <laughs> I said, Gage, bro, I'll buy you food. I'm not giving you cash. Right? Like, that kind of thing happens in your life enough, and you start to get kind of cynical about it. You know, you start to think, man, is this changing anything? Is this fixing anything? Is this helping anything? And so being and living as a merciful church or a merciful person in the city is increasingly difficult. And so it's important that if that's going to characterize our lives, that we fight for it. I know this, that, um, that there's a part of my soul that doesn't want to show mercy because I, it's easy for me to tell myself, uh, this will just be abused if I do it. The person will just, if I give money, the person's just going to take the money and buy drugs, right? It's like we've all had these thoughts. And for some of you, you've stopped showing mercy because you're so cynical on the inside about that. Especially, this can be a special, a special challenge for men. And I want to encourage you, mercy and prudence can exist in the same person. In fact, one of, the, one of the things that makes a great human being is a combination of virtues in that same person. So for us, a challenge is to show mercy with prudence every day. Now, showing mercy is not something that is only characterized as important in the church. It's actually spread out into other parts of our society. So you'll find this at the workplace, but so many of us, the mercy that we show is what I call event-based mercy. You know, your, your job says, we're all going to go to Habitat for Humanity. Yay. And so, you know, we all go to Habitat. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to do that. Of course, that's a good thing. But instead of characterizing our whole life, it's event-based. It's when the church does a community project. And so you say, you, you raise your hand. Now, when we do those, we need people to raise their hand and say, I'll be there for that. But my hope for you and my hope that it grows in my own soul is not that our mercy is event-based, but it is an everyday rhythm of life. Mercy is something that God wants to give to you. Jude 1-2 says, may God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. And mercy is something God wants you to give to other people. This is our memory verse for today. Micah 6-8. It's sometimes been called the great requirement. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, if you would, go ahead and take out your teaching notes. Those two verses are on the front of it, but we're going to open up and take some notes today. And what we're looking at is how to live out God's mercy every day in our lives so that it's not event-based, so that we're not so cynical that we can no longer engage with it but rather we live a daily lifestyle of mercy. And here's what it is. The first, the first way, I live, out by God, I live out God's mercy every day by remembering God's mercy to me. Write that down in your notes on the inside. 
Now, this, this first point, this is not a message where all the points are symmetrical. This is the first point because it is the most important idea. You cannot live out God's mercy every day without God's power in your life. Unless you are remembering the mercy he has shown you, the other stuff doesn't matter. Because the foundation of your faith is not what God does for you. The foundation of your faith is what, excuse me, is not what you do for God. The foundation of your faith is what God does for you. And God is a God of mercy. Now look at the passage in Titus 3 with me. It's in your teaching notes. And we're going to spend some time studying this text in Titus and breaking it down because it's all about God's mercy for you, the foundation and the power for you to move out into the world every day with mercy. Titus 3, 4 says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Now, let's break this down. First, I want you to underline the word because in the first sentence. It says, God revealed his kindness and love. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Mercy is the reason God saved us, according to this passage in Titus. And and here's an important question that is often not raised. Saved us from what? Saved us from what? What did God save you from? Because if you don't understand what God saved you from, you won't understand how his relationship with you is characterized by mercy. If God is just sort of like your buddy-buddy in the sky who loves you and is trying to boost your self-esteem all the time, there's no need for mercy in that relationship. And so what the Bible's saying doesn't make sense. But here's what God saved you from. God saved you, first of all, from an eternity without God. Eternity without God. He saved you from an eternity without his love, an eternity without his glory, an eternity without his peace. God saved us from living life for the wrong purpose. You know, it's absolutely possible to to live with a purpose in your life and for it to be, for your life to be aimed in the wrong direction. You know, if you're living, you know, if, if I'm living for me, I am living for too small of a purpose. You know, if you're living for your own, perp, your, own, your, own, your own happiness, you know, your own, your own glory, your own reputation, you are living for too small of a purpose. Your life was meant for more than that. So God saves us from living life for the wrong purpose. God saves us from being under the control of dark spiritual powers. God saves us from being condemned for our sins in eternity. God saves us from drowning in our sins in our own life. God rescues us from all of that, and that's why God's relationship with us is characterized by mercy. Now, let's look back at the passage. Let's look at all the ways God shows us mercy According to this, he has washed away our sins. Now, that's a cool thought. You know, um, there are some things that you'll do in your life and I'll do in my life that no matter how much we wish we could forget about it and move on from it and it had never happened, we can't let it go. But God has already let it go through Jesus. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he taken our sins from us. 
According to this, God has shown us mercy by giving me new birth. The Bible says we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And whenever we talk about being born again or new birth in in this church, we always try to explain it, that it's a matter of a new identity. Because in ancient times, your identity was completely given to you by your birth. What family, what tribe, what clan, what job, what region, your whole life was mapped out for you when you were born. That's your whole identity. But God gives you a new spiritual identity instead of a natural identity, and he gives it to you through the Spirit. So he, he, uh, he shows you mercy by giving you a new spiritual identity that you live out. It also says that he gives us new life. You see in the text it says giving us a new birth and new life. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. If you're an old KJV guy, you know who you are. (laughs) Come on. That's like the only thing I know in the King James Version of the Bible. God gives us new life. That's mercy. You know, you have a natural life that is going to end. The chances of you living forever are 0% in this natural life. But he gives us new life. God shows us mercy By pouring out the Spirit. It says he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ. According to the Bible, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Again, that's something you can't do for you. You can't pour out God's Spirit in you. According to this text, God made us right in his sight. Again, that is mercy to us. You can't make you right in God's sight. The Bible says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. He shows us mercy by making us right in his sight. And lastly, he shows us mercy by giving us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. The last sentence says, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. The Bible says, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life. You can know for certain that God is your father, that heaven is your home, that your past is forgiven. You have the power to change today because of Jesus. That's confidence that brings you through life. And all of that is mercy that God shows you. It all starts with his mercy towards you. God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. God reducing and relieving the suffering in your life. It's all about his mercy. When you are captivated by God's mercy, that always always transforms your life so that you become a person who shows mercy to others because you know how good it feels. In fact, the Bible is full of these verses about how if you don't show mercy, uh, it is a sign that something is seriously broken spiritually in your life because you're not in touch with how God has shown you mercy. James 2.13 lays this out. It says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Right? The idea here is not that if you show mercy, then God likes you more than other people and he saves you. No, the idea is if you know God's mercy for you, it will result in mercy towards other people in your life. It always has. It always will. And so the rest of our points today are about responding to God's great mercy in us. So let's continue. The first point 
was all about remembering God's mercy to me. Here's the second idea. I live out God's mercy every day by helping someone with the necessities of life. So now we see where God's mercy starts to flow through us and become very, very tangible. When you meet someone's physical needs, you're helping to reduce the suffering in their life. This has always been a way of life for the people of Jesus because this is what Jesus did. He fed the hungry crowds even as he was teaching them about God. I mean, you just can't even imagine Jesus saying like, hey, listen, guys, I'm talking about deep spiritual truths here. Go buy your own bread, right? That's not Jesus. Jesus was, I'm going to meet your needs and I'm going to share the good news about God's kingdom, right? That was the way of Jesus and it's the way of his people. And then in the earliest church, they continued what Jesus started. Um, There was a this interaction where the Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he first met the leaders in the early church of Jerusalem. He met with uh, James and, uh, I believe it was James and Peter. And when he meets with them, he reports back that they gave him very specific instructions about his ministry. Here's what they said in Galatians 2, 9 through 10. It says, they encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Well, that makes sense, right? They're, They're trying to get this message about Jesus out. So what are their instructions to him? Keep getting the message out. Get it out there. But here's the other thing. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. So think about that for a second. When the early church leaders gave instructions to the apostle Paul, they said, hey, hey man, we, we basically want you to do two things. Meet needs and share the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Meet needs and share the gospel. And churches to this day have that same fundamental calling in their life, meet needs and share the gospel. We do that by helping someone with the necessities of life. Um, I had a, a, in my last church in North Carolina, I had a friend named Melissa. She grew up in Michigan. And she went through this, when she was a teenager, her house, her family's home burned down. And so overnight, they had no possessions. I mean, you think about that. Not only do you not have a place to stay, you can't even pack a suitcase of your clothes or anything like that. You have nothing overnight. And that tragedy of her home burning down um, was compounded by the fact that her church was nowhere to be found for their family. Her next door neighbors all pitched in. The family moved in with a neighbor. Uh, The neighbors were giving them clothes and blankets and just everything they needed to live. And her church just wasn't there. And it put a scar on her heart where there should have been great joy. Because the church didn't meet the basic necessities of her life. In the Bible, it says that the kind of faith that doesn't meet people's physical needs is pretty worthless. Listen to this in James. It's not in your notes or on the screen. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? You see, that's an amazing statement. He says, does that kind of faith save anybody? It, you know, it's, it's almost like saying, like, if that's what your faith is, then I'm not sure you've really got faith. That's how closely mercy is tied in to faith in Jesus Christ. You can be the holiest Christian who ever lived. You can tell the most people in the world about Jesus. But if you don't help your neighbor when their house burns down, can that kind of faith save anyone? 
In the early church, it was not just the apostles and the church leaders who were doing this. It was the ordinary, everyday Christians who were committed to help those in need with their daily necessities. Acts 2.45 says they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. It was like first century Craigslist. You raise some extra money, you know, you help your neighbor out. And I, I think for some of us, we get that feeling. It's like, you know, I'm barely scraping by here. I can barely make ends meet as it is. I want to help more, but I don't feel like I'm in a place to help others very much. But, you know, the early church was that way, too. Basically, everyone in the early church, except for a very few people, lived in grinding poverty at all times. And so what did they do? They just sold some of their possessions. You know, you could do the same thing when you see a specific need. You can go into your house. I mean, hey, listen, guys, we're, we're Americans or we're living in America. So there is something in our house right now that we don't need that we could sell, right? We can do the same thing that the early church did and meet the, meet the tangible needs and necessities of life. It might be a bag of groceries for someone th- who's going through a difficult, difficult time, excuse me. It could be clothing for kids. I learned about Christians in the city that are collecting children's clothing so that when uh, people foster kids and they just get a, a child who shows up at their house, who they're like three-year-old boy, and it's like, I don't have clothes for them. They can just go and get those clothes. It could be financial help for someone who's going on a mission trip or trying to adopt a child. It could be free babysitting for couples. If you want to reduce suffering in someone's life, <laughs> uh, but seriously, it could be food for the homeless. Our children's ministry, they made little bags to give away that had granola bars, Q-tips, and a couple of other things so that if people ask on the street, they can give it out. It could be Christmas presents for a family that needs it. I think if we just open our eyes, we see the financial needs and, I, and one of the questions for us that's an application is, do you live with enough financial margin in your life so that you can meet needs when you see them? Has your faith affected your pocketbook? You know, I say this sometimes as the pastor, which is that you have no idea how spiritual of a person I am. You know, like just because they let me stand up here and talk doesn't automatically mean I'm spiritual. You see, you know, leaders, you know, with all their, their jets and things like that. The way you know someone is spiritual or not is by you look at their calendar, how they spend their time, and you look at their pocketbook, how they spend their money. That's how you know. So has your faith affected your pocketbook? So we meet the daily necessities of life. And if you open your eyes, they're everywhere. Number three. I live out God's mercy daily in my life by giving generously to my local church. Write that down. One of the reasons why I believe in the power of the church is because I believe that we can do more together than we can apart. I believe that. It's true for mercy just as much as it's true for spreading the message about Jesus. And when you give to this particular church, as with most churches... Some of your gift goes to ministries of mercy in the city. Our church did coats for the city last year, and we were able to give away 1,000 coats in Boston. We're going to do that again this year. We're hoping for more than 1,000 coats given away. When you give here, some of your money goes to help refugees who arrive in Greece from Syria and northern Africa. We support missionaries, the Demakos and the Sindh family there. And they, they, they share the good news about Jesus, but they also feed the refugees, and they give them blankets. They make sure that they've got a place to stay. We've done scholarships for the kids at Josiah Quincy Upper School, which is a high school where our church used to meet. We have a benevolence fund that we administrate for the church. 
We've done thousands, literally thousands of dollars in grocery gift cards over the years as a church. We've done Christmas gifts for families in need. We've helped people pay the rent. We've helped people get a bus fare home for a funeral. We've bought people beds. We've done crisis intervention for families that are in trouble. And a lot of times you guys don't hear about it. Because, you know, it's like, um, I remember the very first year the church existed, we, we helped someone get a bed. That was about five or six years ago. And it's like, you know, if you, had, if you were receiving a bed, would you want the church to, like, take a selfie and, you know, post it on social media? Well, so we don't do it. Like, I want to share with you about it today because I think from time to time it's good for you to understand that what the church is engaged in. But we're not going to, like, be posting this all the time on social media. A lot of times this stuff happens behind the scenes, in the background, when people need it. And I think it's important that you know that when you give regularly and you give generously, then you're making a decision to live with mercy every day. And you're following in the footsteps of the very first church in Acts 2. Look at, um, well, Acts 4 as well. It's the same church. Acts 4, 34 through 37. It says, there were no needy people among them. That's pretty cool. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Now, think about that for a second. Before, we saw that people were meeting needs directly by giving to those in need, and here we see that people are uh, taking money, giving it to the apostles, the church leaders, in order to distribute it to the poor. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the, one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That'd be pretty cool to get that nickname. I like sons of thunder better, but sons of encouragement would do. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And so people are giving money to the church leaders to distribute to the poor. And he's living with mercy by asking the church leaders to, to distribute on his behalf. Um, now, as a, you know, as a Christian, my heart for you is that you grow in generosity. And one of the things I always say is, like, if giving to a church is a hang-up, give somewhere else. Like, I, you know, I hope that if you're a part of this church, you give generously to this church. But I don't think God wants your money. I think God wants your heart. And I think he wants to develop this, this growth in you of living generously. And so we have this thing we talk about at the church called the generosity ladder. And it's basically this idea that everyone has a step to take, that you never arrive in terms of generosity. And if you haven't given a first-time gift ever, then you can give a first-time guest to take that very first step today. After that, it's regular giving or tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of your income to God. And that's something my wife Heather and I have practiced since we were teenagers. And here, here's the, the idea behind that, is that you can live, more, you can live better on 90% of your income with God's blessing than you can on 100% of your income without God's blessing in your life. And if you're not giving 10% to God, then God is not blessing 100% of your finances. It's just how we honor God as Christians. But that's not the goal either. God's, again, God's goal for your life is not a percentage or a number. It's your heart. And so the, the idea beyond that is extravagant giving. And so it's I tithe to my local church, and then above and beyond that, I set aside money, whether it's for mercy or compassion or Compassion International or Mercy Ministries or missionaries, so that we are extravagant givers. And it's, it's part of who we are as the people of Jesus that we say, like, I want to be as generous as I can possibly be. Often there's an idea that it's more spiritual to give money to someone directly than to give regularly and set up automatic giving at the church, but it's not true. Maturity means that I don't do it because it makes me feel good, although it does. 
Maturity means I do it because it's the right thing to do, because it's for the Lord, and because I want God's blessing in my life. So I don't need to feel an emotional high. And as a benefit, when I give through the local church, I'm combining mercy and prudence together. I personally like the fact that there's a system in place to give this money out like there was in the early church. Look at Acts 6.1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, they had this fight, and it was a fight over ethnic tension, so there was some racial prejudice happening in the early church. But what I want you to notice here is that they set up a system to distribute the food daily, and the people were giving to the apostles, and then they were administrating this system. And one of the things that allowed them to do was to fix the problems in the system when they found it. And this problem, they, they put seven deacons together, and they fixed the problem so that there was no more prejudice in the distribution. So the church set up systems for caring from the poor. We see that in the earliest earliest churches, we see that today. And so my question for you is, what step are you going to take on the generosity ladder today? Every one of us has a way to grow in being generous. All right, the fourth idea. I live out God's mercy every day by building bridges to unpopular people. There are physical needs that people have, but there's emotional needs too that are just as real. And the pain of being on the outside looking in is very real. Jesus was constantly hanging out with the people that no one else would hang out with. There was one time after he called Matthew, who was this notorious tax collector. Um, Matthew invited him to his home. It says Jesus is eating with him and other notorious sinners. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, why are you eating with a bunch of lowlifes? And what does Jesus say? Matthew 9, 13. Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus said his act of eating with the people no one else would eat with was an act of mercy. The the Pharisees were so obsessed with their religious practices and their cleanliness laws that they were neglecting showing mercy by simply connecting on a human level with people who most desperately needed God's love and concern. And if your faith drives you away from undesirable people, so-called in our society, then it's not the same faith of Jesus. Mercy is connecting with unpopular people. And it may have started in the high school cafeteria, but I know it continues in the workplace lunchroom. So who in your life do you need to build a bridge to as an act of mercy so you can live like Jesus? All right, let's recap. I live out God's mercy every day by remembering God's mercy to me, helping with the necessities of life, giving to my local church, building bridges to unpopular people, and finally, helping a friend carry a burden. Helping a friend carry a burden. Friends might need mercy when they have suffered through a miscarriage, when they've lost someone close to them, when they've gone through the epic breakup when they lose a parent, when they've lost a job, when they're suffering from crushing anxiety. There's really no end to the ways you can suffer in this life, and sometimes mercy means helping a friend carry the burden. Galatians 6, 2 through 3 says, share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. I love this. It says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. 
That's pretty clear. Hey, turn to your neighbor. Tell him, you are not that important. Some of you needed that this morning. You know who you are. <laughs> in, uh, that was Galatians uh, 2 through 3. In Galatians 6, 5, it's the, there's this statement that each person has to carry their own load. And in Greek, it's this idea of having a, a backpack like a soldier would carry. And it's heavy, but you've got to carry your own load every day. But in Galatians 6, 2, it's a burden, it's this idea of, of some huge weight crushing down on you with your shoulders. And so here's the idea is that when your load becomes a burden, you've got to help each other out. When the backpack becomes a boulder, you've got to get in the mix and show mercy to your friends. One of the primary ways we do this as followers of Jesus is to pray for our friends. According to the Bible, prayer is where you get mercy from God and help from God or grace from God. Hebrews 4.16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so this is a way of life for Christians. We got to pray for each other to help carry the burden. Now, some of you might think, man, that's a, that's a stretch for me in my faith. I don't know if I could just pray for somebody on the phone. I don't know if I could just stop in a Starbucks and pray for somebody. That's a lot. But one of the main ways that we do this, and we set some structure around it to make it simpler, is we're doing a study together this fall called 40 Days with Jesus. And it's going to be a, a spiritual growth campaign, a sprint for all of us, where we spend 40 days with Jesus. Because when people spent time with Jesus, no one came away unchanged. And I know the same is true for you. If you spend time with Jesus... Um, Ken Gilming is uh, going to be one of our elders soon, and he is working on a 40-day devotional for you to read and spend time with Jesus and journal on that. The te- it matches with the teachings. We're also studying that in groups together. And I, I really believe this, that some of you need to host a study this fall. And a host does four things, H-O-S-T. You have a heart for people, you open your home, you serve some snacks, and you turn on the TV. And if you can do that, you can host a group. And we, we're try, our goal is to have 10 groups. And if you can just grab a couple friends, you can do the 40 days of Jesus study with a couple friends and we'll help you get to that place. But God is gonna use some of you to show mercy to people by just praying with them on a weekly basis in this 40 days of Jesus study together. And some of you who thought, you know, I I don't think of myself as a leader, I don't think of myself as making a big spiritual impact, just by hosting that group and opening up your life to other people and praying with other people, you will be showing mercy and helping to carry the burdens. In fact, on your connection card that you were handed when you came in, could you guys take that out for me? There's some next steps for you to take on the back of here. There's next steps around the generosity ladder. We talked about that earlier. But it also says, send me info on hosting a 40-day with Jesus study. And you can talk to myself or Ken. We'll be at the next steps table in the back after today. But if you check that box, you're not committing to host a group. You're just saying, send me some info so I can learn what it will be like. Because if you can grab a couple friends and host a group, then God can use that. So in conclusion for our message today, mercy is something God gives us. Mercy starts with everything God has done for us. And therefore, mercy is something God expects us to show others. We can do that by meeting physical needs. We can do that by giving faithfully, by building bridges and carrying burdens. And as long as I'm pastor here, our church will be committed to showing 
mercy because that's who Jesus is and that's who Jesus has called us to be. I wanna invite the band to come back up at this time because we're gonna sing a song of response together. I, I believe it's important always to respond to God's word. And I wanna pray and ask God's help for us to be a church characterized by mercy. Let's pray.